Hello, and welcome to What We Brought Home with your hosts, Mike Izzo and Pat McGinty. We invite military veterans to anonymously share their stories of war and service, specifically the stories that they hide from the world. The stories featured on this podcast often include sensitive topics like death and violence that might be triggering for some. At times, you might even hear us or our guests laugh at situations that are actually quite serious. Like other jobs that involve life or death situations, grim and ironic humor is often a way to cope. Listener discretion is advised. Also at times, you may notice breaks in the audio. We take anonymity very seriously and we edit stories to protect the identities of the storyteller and others involved. Finally, if what you hear in this episode reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to share your story, let us know. If it's something from your time in service that you often think about, but rarely talk about, you're not alone. We're here to listen with no judgment. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. Welcome back to What We Brought Home. We have our next guest with us today. Uh, She is an Army veteran. And uh, she's uh, served uh, all over the world. And we're very grateful to have her here today to share her story. Um, it's it's going to be a little uh, different than some of the other ones we've told, which we're really excited about. So um, without further ado, I will uh, turn it over to our guest. So uh, please take it away. Hi. Um, I'm, I guess, a little nervous on being on my very first podcast. So um My story begins with two life-defining moments, and they are the day I joined the Army and the day that I got out of the Army, and um, I had never really considered the Army. My dad was an Army vet, did like two years in the military, and um, but I joined in high school thinking I could travel and see the world, so that's all I I wanted to do. And so I joined the South Dakota National Guard. I grew up in this small little town with 60 people in it. And um, it hadn't seen a whole lot of the world, but I knew there was something else out there. And so I joined the army. I fell in love with basic training and wanted nothing more than to be a drill sergeant. And so because of the way the National Guard works and you have to spend some time, um, getting the state's money worth. I went to college and and became an officer. And while I was a cadet in the army, um, or before I was in the army, I went to airborne school in August of 2001. But on the day I graduated, I like fell out of the formation. I knew I wasn't feeling well the whole week. And when I flew home to South Dakota, I went straight to the hospital and had my gallbladder taken out. And then when I, um, was got released from the hospital and walking around my dorm room in the middle of the night, I woke up and the towers had been hit. And I just remember that being like a huge impact and, and realize we're recording this a few days after September 11th. So the memories are fresh, but um, that was a big thing thinking that you were going to miss this, the war um, because everyone started deploying and, and things happening. And I still had a year before graduation and had things to do, but Little did I know that there was no way we were missing 
out on the war at that time. Got to my uh, first company, spent just under a year with them. And three weeks before I was leaving for Iraq, I met my husband um, out in Nashville and didn't know it at the time, but we met. And then three weeks later, I deployed and I went to northern Iraq and he followed like a month later and was in South Baghdad. But when I got to Kuwait, he was worried about his how his mom would take things and just to really, he asked if I could write her letters and writing had always been kind of a therapy for me. So I said, sure. And so I started writing these letters and trying to keeping them upbeat and optimistic all the time, like making it not seem so bad and uplifting and, and happy all the time um, as much as possible. And the exciting things like I, I did school missions and, and, things that were more humanitarian in nature um, than what my husband was doing, or I guess fiance, boyfriend at the time was doing in, in South Baghdad. And so, and I wrote him letters each day of this deployment for the first, like, I don't know, six or seven months of a 12 month deployment. It, it was, it was hard. It was hard to try and also trying to keep him upbeat because there were rougher days um, so many things were going wrong in, in his units. And I don't know that wrong is the right word, but just the, the stuff that shows up in the movies was happening. And the hard part was before we had left, because we had only known each other for three weeks, I didn't know anybody in his unit. And so I had no idea what, if something would happen to him, how I would even know um, what would what would be going on. And so like just tragic things, his roommate that he had at Fort Campbell was, had died just before Christmas and other of his school classmates and things and people going missing and just awful things happening. And I just got to a point where I, I just couldn't write anymore. And I still had no idea like this huge fear the whole time, like what happens if, if he, um, if something happens to him and our dining facility on my base had a scrolling television with all the killed in action soldiers from the deployment. And so frequently someone from his unit or his brigade would show up on that, that TV screen. And it was just, I, I, I just knew that was how I was going to find out, um, that something had happened. And I would try and get any sit, sit reps or situation reports from any of the intelligence folks that I could find that had access to systems that I didn't just to see if they could find out what was going on. And it was just, um, it was just a lot. Um, and then when another like memory of that time that stands out is I got really low for a while and, um, I remember someone just inviting me to church and I went to this service with someone from another unit and instant sob. Like as soon as they started singing or whatever, like I was this flood of tears of all of this stuff coming out. And then I just realized like how much pressure there had been. And I don't know, I can't remember if that was before or after his mom emailed me one day when things were pretty rough 
And in the subject line, it just had his name. And it took me a good 15 minutes to click on that email. And luckily my roommate was in my, in my room with me because I don't think I could have opened it without her being there. It ended up being okay. And it was just a, a call out to please, you know, think about him, pray for him. And, and hopefully, you know, things that I was doing anyway, certainly didn't need a reminder, but I, I guess I felt relief that she had my email and that she would have reached out to me, but also just like the sheer panic of that. And so with all of that, we came home from that deployment and knew before we got back to the United States that we were going back in 12 months. And so um, it was just a year full of like drinking goodbye to friends to quote Kenny Chesney's song. Um, like just saying goodbye to everybody um, for the first six months. And then it was six months of, of, Hey, we got to live it up. Cause you don't know what's going to happen, but there were always people around. So we didn't have a lot of time for like dating and things. So we kind of rushed into marriage and things, um, which I don't, I don't regret, but the, we got married and then a month and a half later we were back in Iraq. And so we were on the same plane over on the same plane back that deployment, but we were separated for the first six months. It was a 15 month deployment that time. Um, we were separated for the first six months or so. And then he was on the brigade staff, but on night shift while I was on days and we couldn't live together. So we didn't see much of each other, even when we were across the street from, from one another. And, and it just felt so much pressure to like rush into the marriage because the military or at least the army policy doesn't give girlfriends or fiancés the opportunity to, to go home or have a voice of any sort. You just don't matter until you, until you get married and have this certificate. And that would be the only way. And I just knew I couldn't live through the hell that was that first deployment. And so since then, um, I, I think we've lived life thinking that the op tempo or the, um, just the, the fast pace of those years was always going to be. And so when we made, I made a decision to get out of the army and I, I always felt like he kind of pressured me into that because we couldn't see outside of this bubble that we were in, that we were just going to be going back to Iraq or Afghanistan over and over and over. And how do you raise kids in that, that military? And so it just became a lot. And I think it's sort of now that we've been home for uh, like 11 years, we couldn't see outside that bubble in this, this churn. I don't know. So we, I got out of the army and I think I've regretted that decision ever since then. I've felt like that pressure to like hurry up and, and make this decision. I wasn't prepared to like tell my new husband that I also wanted to stay in the military and keep doing that. It was I don't know, it was hard to see outside of that. And and since then we've also lived like things in life, all of life has been before the first deployment, between the deployments or after the second deployment, like the time and how you relate to like birthdays and Christmases and, and tell the time and how you missed, missed those things um, has been a challenge, I guess, in life. But, and so I, and I guess, 
everything since then has been very fast paced as well. Um, my husband became a foreign area officer and the training pipeline for that is pretty, um, I don't know, mobile and demanding. So it was 15 months in Monterey and then four months of, of a professional course. And then in one year of living in, in Amman, Jordan, and then a year of grad school and then four months in one spot. Um, and then I lived with his parents. I don't know, life just snowballed and here we are. <laughs> and it, it feels like yesterday, all of those deployments, like it feels like yesterday and I can still like vividly put myself back in all of those memories, like in an instant, but it's also so long ago too. And, but it's still hard to think outside of that, that fast paced stuff. And it's been a struggle. And I guess for me, one of the things is trying not to resent the army or resent my husband for some of the decisions that I made has been definitely coming out um, in this year now that we've been two years in one location, which is the longest we've ever spent in one spot together. Um, and like refinding myself or figuring out what it is that I that I wanted and didn't really know. So it's kind of where I'm at today. Yeah. I mean, first, first of all, thank you for sharing all this with us. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm curious, you know, you, you met your current husband. It sounds like you met him three weeks before you both deployed, like you said, and within those three weeks, he felt comfortable enough to ask you to start writing to his mom on a regular basis. Right. Yes. <laughs> it was surprising to me a little bit, but also I, I get it. You know, I can imagine, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, just the, the intensity of deployment. And I, I, I personally felt the same thing. It's like, this might be the last time I see all these people. And so the, the, the formalities and uh, that, that might normally be in place mm -hmm. or like, oh, you know, we got to wait a few months to get to know each other before I introduce you to mom, like a, out the window. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it just went fast and he knew his mom would worry and be completely like worried sick about some of the stuff and thought that when you deploy, go to Kuwait. And then I had called back home and, and would talk to him a little bit and I made it not seem so bad. He's like, well, could you just, if, if could you just write that to my mom so that she doesn't have to worry so much because I'm about to, I'm about to be there a week after you are. And, and so then I just kept, and she wrote back I and mean, we became pen pals in some ways. And I did meet her on our mid tour leave. Like I went and spent a week in Georgia with his family, but that was the only time that was really the only time we saw each other. We saw each other twice over there for like a day or a dinner one time. And, uh, like for a day, uh, one other time and then talked on the phone once, but otherwise like our whole year of dating was via letters and emails and, and that was it. So also having his mom, I felt like I was getting a chance to get to know him just through her mm -hmm. and, and keeping those letters. So. I mean, it sort of sounds like that was the start of this this theme of like pressure to hold things together, right? What I took from your story was that a lot of the responsibility of that has fallen on you 
as uh, quote unquote spouse, right? Uh, to to sort of hold everything together, which maybe wasn't your your goals at the time, right? Well, I it not it wasn't necessarily something I thought I would be doing, but I think I I think I took that on myself and put that pressure on myself. Yeah, he asked me to write, and I could have stopped at any time too. But I did. I felt like I needed to be the one that was okay for everybody. In addition to having my platoon full of 40 soldiers who were running amok, they were a little um, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) My, my, my war was different than his war for sure. In, in, in the, in the stressors. Um, I mean, I did, I was out a lot on convoys and things, but I even then would hold back on even mentioning that I had gone out, I would always go out. I, we had a little scout platoon in my aviation unit that were an escort for a, a, like a police training mission of the Iraqi forces and stuff. And so I would tag along a lot of times just to take pictures, which is, has been a hobby and has become extreme lately. But, um, but yeah, so I'd go on these missions and stuff, which would then make him worry about me a little bit. So I would, I would withhold that as much as I could or make sure that it was days later um, before I would say anything because I, I don't know, like it, it just felt different. It felt like that I wasn't allowed to have like my own deployment, like the fearless person that I thought I was going to be going into the deployments in young 22, like my life doesn't matter if I sacrifice it for like, whatever the 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 good of the whole like if if it saves somebody who has children or has other things in life then then it's okay because yeah you lose a young life but at least it would be it would save somebody else's i mean have you thought about uh, why, why you put yourself in that position as like supporter of others. If I, if I can, I'm conceptualizing, conceptualizing that, right. I mean, you, I, I want the other thing that stuck out to me is like, as you said, you felt like it was your job to keep your now husband upbeat on deployment. Like you're writing to him letters, you're on deployment too. You're writing him letters and trying to keep him upbeat. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to understand if you know, I mean, really internally where you think that came from or why you, why you felt the need to do that it's, it's what I do. It's what I do now on, even if I'm, I, I just, I, I like that quote that you, you never know who's fighting a, a harder battle than you are. So like, I just assume that everybody is fighting a harder battle than I am. And so internally, externally, whatever. So I always feel that I take that role in so many things in life where I don't, I don't like to see people hurting or worried or scared. So I just want to fix that. But then I also realized that I only have like so much ability to handle that before I, I like break or I don't break. I like I bend or get to a point where I, I just have to stop. Like I, I, I reach my like emotional capacity for it. And then that's, that's it. And then I can't, and then I just, I need to reset and 
I don't have like a significant reason for any of it. Like I wasn't a caretaker or anything when I was growing up. I'm a firstborn child. So sometimes that just being the people pleaser. Um, but otherwise, I don't necessarily have like a, a an event that led me to do that. I didn't babysit as a kid or anything like that. Like I never, I don't feel maternal even now with my kids. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm the, the, the strongest maternal parent they could have, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure you're doing, I'm sure you're doing just fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we all worry about that as parents. So I became the family readiness group leader. I think they call it soldier and family readiness now, but, and I was still in uniform. I was in the national guard and, and stuff. So I, I still had this dual role and we were both company commanders and I was his FRG leader, but he wasn't expected to be mine. Yeah. Um, Wow. But that like opened my eyes. I had to be, I had to change my entire way of thinking about military spouses. And again, the sacrifices they make that you have these incredibly brilliant people who are smart and educated and the military like wastes them. I don't know how many like qualified nurses, they can't even volunteer at the hospital because the credentialing time takes so long. And like, they couldn't even work at the admin desk or triage somebody, not even providing any medical, anything, but like they just, and teachers and things that the, the processing in order to be able to get these jobs. And then, or if you finally get one, you're, you're moving within a year. And that was, I mean, that's been my struggle, I guess, since I left active duty, is I've been stringing along my National Guard and Reserve, and I was in the inactive reserve for a while, for for like 12 years to try and like support my spouse. Like I was supposed to be the super wife that was going to make sure that his career stayed on track and we got to the end. And I, there there were days where he's like, I'll, I'll give it up for, for, so you can have something, but it, but at what, that point, I felt like I'd already made this decision. I was stuck with the decision I made, like that you can't reverse it. And then all our eggs are in one basket. Like now we got so far down the road that he has to retire. Like why was this was had to be worth something? Like you have to finish and get, get to get and, to twenty uh, years. I, I, you, mean? Yeah. you have to get to twenty years to 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 achieve retirement. And I think we're about five years away from that now. Mm-hmm. And even, even now he's like, I, I'd get out. I would just hang this up and, and whatever, just to finally see you feel at peace and happy and content. And I, like, I don't think that would do it either because at this point, like I've sacrificed enough that I don't, I mean, I've tried to peddle purses and all the home-based business stuff just to, to, and I was trying searching for something that I could be or something that I could do that was mine to support us to sort of financially contribute somehow and, and do this. But like, I, I fallen from being this, you know, feeling like I was on the top of the world and Iraq two-time Iraq veteran and things like that. And, and here I am now like trying to sell 31 bags because that's, that's the only thing that I qualify for now because, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not even something I wanted to do. It wasn't some, I couldn't, and then I failed at that. Like I wasn't good at it. So then that just snowballed on top of it. And the only one I sold a bag to was myself. (laughs) (laughs) 
if you're interested, <laughs> I have a stuff pile in my garage that I've been moving for about eight oh, years man. now. <laughs> so, uh, but it, you know, it just, it's just something that like, I, I don't know, psychologically the military can do to you in, in transition. So. Yeah. I mean, I can understand exactly what you're, you're saying as far as like, we were how old, 24, 25 years old. And it was like the weight of the world on your shoulders. And then, um, for me, I actively decided to get out and there was no other pressures to do that. It was my own decision. And, uh, at times I still struggle with like, finding contentment in anything else because nothing compares and like responsibility and roles and, and, um, and the activities that we participated in, um, add to that, the fact that you, it seems to me like you have some like regrets about doing that. And, um, that probably just amplifies those feelings. And is there, um, is there ways that you found to, to help with that or to deal with that or, um, to reconcile that? I don't know. It's been a really rough year or so, and not just because of COVID, but COVID's given a lot of time to reflect, but I don't know that I've ever hand. I, I finally this year have acknowledged that like, it was my decision and whether I, I've, I've for 10 or 12 years have been blaming my husband for me getting out of the army. And he knows that, I mean, he's felt that and it, it goes in and it ebbs and flows um, depending on how things are going, because I keep stringing along my military stuff in the, in the guard and the reserves. But I've finally recognized that like, really truly I'm I'm mad at myself for making that decision for not standing up to myself or to him it's not like I needed to stand up but I was terrified of having this discussion of saying hey like this is what I need to be okay like this is until this year when I finally recognized that and and have said that a couple things I I just want to get out there I mean everything you've described that you've done and this whole story start to finish, you know, the word that's coming to mind for me is just uh, generosity. I I just want to say, I think you're incredibly generous to, to those around you, uh, both your, your soldiers and your family and your family's family (laughs) before they even become your family. (laughs) So I I just want to acknowledge that. And I, I, it's a tremendous gift and, and I, I'm not surprised that, you know, sometimes it might feel like that people might keep, might come to you for, for help and, and people might lean on you because they know that you will help them. And, and it's a great thing. And it's also sounds like a terribly draining thing and lonely thing sometimes too. I also recognize I, 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 with a lot of the self-assessment and stuff this year too, like, I don't know, I'm from South Dakota and people are nice and I I happen to be nice and people like me. And so a lot of times like that connects a lot of things, but that can also become very exhausting. uh, What I was going to ask about though, is like, is like, you know, I feel like in relationships when you have those goals, those things to, as a, as a couple to kind of mobilize around and plan for and execute on Mm -hmm. um, what I'm gathering, correct me if I'm wrong, is that like, and maybe you can comment on this if it's true, is that perhaps you and your husband, 
have been so focused on these tasks that maybe you've missed opportunities to really connect with one another absent of these other things? Is that, is that what you were saying earlier? Yes. I mean, I think that's very true because it doesn't, it doesn't leave a lot of uh, space for each other. We're just always busy. We're always, because this is the longest we've lived together since 2012. I mean, lived in, in one spot. It, we're always, it's always what's right. next. It's been a lifetime of adventures, but it's not left a lot of space. And, and so then when you throw in like this need to, to also care for others and, and, and be, it, it didn't leave a lot of room for us. And I think we're struggling with that a lot right now. There's this Hollywood version of like returning from deployment or being in the army and then going back to your loved one. And it's all like, welcome home, love. It's not the reality. The reality is you got to like work to learn to live together again, which is quite a struggle oftentimes. Um, and, you know, I experienced that myself too. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, your experience is, is multiplied due to more deployments and that kind of stuff. But like, <laughs> there was a lot of, um, a lot of tension with coming home and trying to be together and, and try to like renew life or normal life, if you want to call it yeah. that. And we just kept staying busy. I mean, even the deployments, like I said, between our two deployments, because we were single or unmarried and stuff, we had, like, we were coming home to our own spaces a little bit, but we were saying goodbye to all our friends. We didn't have kids or any responsibility. And so, the, and then it was like living it all up. So it, it wasn't, between the deployments wasn't real life. And then we got married and it wasn't real life because we were back on a deployment. And then, but then after that one, then we moved, but I just left the army. He was in the career course with, in the captain's course with half of the people that had just come home from Iraq, but I left my job and my friends and thank God we got a dog because I was so lonely and like super depressed in that, that especially a three month window until I like pulled myself together and, and found order or found a job like a contracting job for a little while um that was when we finally we'd been married for a year and a few months before we <laughs> we started to learn who we actually were as a as a couple and mm. things like that and then it's about the time we did right before we left that assignment was when we had our son and then since then we've just been moving um and so it just all of a sudden you just look back and like you blink and it's over and, and here you are 12 years later and wondering what on earth did we do? <laughs> Why are we not those same people that sure. I don't know. And then, and the other piece that has come out recently and I realize this should be things that I share, but he is t like now talks about some wants to share stories from way back then and and try and recover from stuff that he needs off of his chest and things that I didn't realize and I don't I don't know now I don't have the capacity for that anymore like I've, I've I hit that bend or that break again and I don't have the ability to 
to be there. And, and the one person I should be there for, or want, should want to be there for is, is your husband, the father of your two children. And, and, and this person that you've, you've partnered with in life. And I just like hit this wall. Like I don't have the ability to be there for him the way that I should be. And so like with that carries a lot of guilt because, because I, I did that for so long and I was good at it and it seemed to make everybody else happy and, and things like that. It didn't, but I was always restless. Like my own internal peace was never there, but everybody else seemed to be okay. So, so you just keep getting up and keep going. But now like I'm better at articulating, like I can't, I don't have the ability, but I can see the the hurt and the strain that the fact that I'm, I'm not able to be there right now. And so I, in some ways, like we've sought versions of help and, and things, but I don't know. It just, we, we buried stuff for, for so long. And now that it's coming out, I had always hoped that, if he wasn't talking to me, he was at least talking to someone or someone else who was there. And I don't, I don't think that was happening. And, but what he has been doing and is contributing to books that other people are writing. Like, but I also wonder, like you're, he's sharing and telling other people's stuff and not so much him. And he keeps reserving that for me. And I don't have, the emotional capacity to handle it right now, which then brings with it a ton of guilt and feeling like you're letting down everybody that, that you love. And so I don't know, it just becomes a lot. I don't know if that's necessarily your job at this point. I also wonder because we, we went to talk to this lady, um, one of the family life consultants here. And when I, and then, then I met with her by myself a few weeks ago and she's, and I was like, but I feel bad because it's the things I do or, or don't do or whatever. Like I can see it hurts you to see somebody else hurting or knowing that you're the kind of the cause of that. And she's like, you're not responsible for him. You're responsible for mm-hmm. you, which is true. But how do you turn that off when that's been so much a part of your life? Like, I don't know how to not let that affect me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and seeing it, but, but for me, things are, for me, like things are so cold Turkey. I have an addiction to Coca-Cola. I'd say Coke, but but, but, you like, (laughs) you never know, (laughs) talking more about stuff like that. But, but when I decide like, okay, I got to cut this sugar and cut, stop drinking Coke. It's terrible for you. I have to do it cold turkey. It's not like, oh, you can just ease out of it. I'll just have one every so often. Like I just have to cut it out 100%. And the same thing, like anything I do, or if, if it's like, I don't know, we've done the, the, the whole 30 paleo thing or keto or something like it has to be all, there is no, and I didn't realize those are supposed to be, but there is no just like in moderation and a mm-hmm. lot of things. Like I have to do things like that. And and I find that it's true in a lot of other aspects of life, but, but I, I feel like that's the solution that that's the only solution I can see at the end of this tunnel is like, I need this, I need this break. Like I need to, to stop because I can't, 
look and see someone hurting and day after day and realizing like I could fix it if I could just figure out how to be at peace with myself and with my decisions. But I, I don't know, but I'm so afraid of going back to that other decision of getting out of the military and being so mad at myself or resenting myself forever if I make the wrong one now. So, mm. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a, absolutely a lot to be weighing on you right now. I think it's okay to struggle with these things and not have the right answer and have certain feelings. And if you're a person who has to do things cold turkey, then that's just who you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, all, obviously all these things have led up to this, but you know, right now where you're at, I'm, you know, I just want to, I, I yeah. uh, I'm sorry that you're going through it and that it's a, a struggle and I know it's weighing on you so much. And I always think back to like, I have the, I wrote it down even as thinking about it earlier today, like the idea of if you could time travel to the past, would you go back to change something or would you just go back to like enjoy a moment or a feeling or something? And in all aspects of life, like there, I, there are things that like, I wish I might've done differently in, in circumstances or here and there throughout life. But like most of the time I would say I would time travel back to an event or something like that, except the one thing that I would change would have been the decision to get out of the army mm-hmm. that day. I, I don't know. Oh, it might be in the same situation now we might be like, I just know that that one thing is like the only regret I've ever had in my life. Do you think it's the military specifically that you wish you were a part of, or do you think it's just, do you think if you had like a civilian or a career, or is it just a career, like something that you, where you feel like you're contributing in some way, or is it the military only in your mind? It's, it's the military. It's, the it's absolutely the military like there's just something about the like putting the uniform back on and and being around soldiers and i don't every time i do that i would re-energize myself this is really great uh i i thank you so much for for sharing all this with us and you know i i really appreciate your your trust and your willingness to to talk to us and i hope yeah. I hope you found the process to be helpful at least a little bit. Uh, and if not, yeah. if not talking to us, at least just thinking through it, you've been through so much and not, not the traditional, uh, what, what people, what first comes to mind for people when they think about the, the challenges and the rigors of the army, people think of explosions and bullets and yeah. thank you. And, um, you know, and, and we, we wish you the best of luck, uh, going, going forward. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, I I agree with what Mike said, and thanks for sharing. And I I'm really impressed by like the the self exploration that you are doing, and um, you know I hope that as you continue to work through it, um, it helps you sort of realize or or find some peace. Thanks for listening to what we brought home. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe or follow us wherever you find your podcasts. Like we said at the top of the show, if what you've heard here reminds you of one of your own experiences and you want to tell your story, let us know. We're always looking to talk to fellow veterans. All stories are shared anonymously. Go ahead and visit our website, whatwebroughthome.com, to learn more. Thanks again for listening.